How's it going, Longhorn Nation? Welcome to Texas Talk, your one-stop shop for everything involving Texas Longhorns football. I'm your host, Ryan McLoon, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Michael Farber. We are recording on Thursday, March 9th, and today we're going to be talking about Texas's spring practice and then um, how the SEC schedule will look when Texas and Oklahoma join for the 2024 season. Before we get into it, though, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. Also, tell your friends and family about us. After that, make sure to check out our website, texas-talk.com. On the website, you'll be able to find the Longhorns' updated roster, depth chart, the 2023 recruiting class, transfer portal additions and departures, any trending news, plus our analysis on the team. So be sure to check that out. With all that said, Michael, how was your weekend? Yeah, I had a pretty good weekend. Uh, we're recording a little bit later in the week, so it feels like the weekend was was so long ago. But right, uh, <laughs> actually had a couple nice days. You got up to in the seventies on Sunday here, so mm-hmm. uh, tried to go out and play some golf. But you know, taking a month or so off, it, it was it was rough. So, uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm looking forward to the warmer weather getting back. But yeah, not too bad of a weekend. Kind of a relaxing weekend, warmer weekend uh, for. Um, February or late February, early March, but, uh, overall, overall pretty, pretty good weekend. How about you? Uh, yeah, really, really busy weekend for me. Uh, we had a wedding on Friday night, um, left the city from work and then basically just had to shower, put on my suit and drive right back into the city on a Friday night. (laughs) That was, that was rough, but it was a fun wedding. So it was, it was worth it. And then Saturday we had a little, uh, gala for my high school a little fundraiser so uh we did that that was fun as well um overall long weekend though and i had to you know really really buckle down because uh got after it a little bit too much on the wedding in the gala so (laughs) we (laughs) we had to buckle down on sunday um man you mentioned you're getting nice weather it is currently snowing here in chicago and i couldn't be more depressed yeah i know it, it's it's been nice um but yeah no today just uh i'm just watching it snow and i am really really depressed thank goodness tomorrow's friday kind of cheers me up a little bit here yeah uh we haven't had much snow here it's kind of been a mild winter again but mm-hmm. yeah hope, hopefully that warmer weather moves over your way uh in next week and, and maybe you get a nice spring day next week yeah. <laughs> yeah i'll need one soon so i don't have to shovel um all right <laughs> let's uh let's get into the texas spring practices um just a little bit uh we kind of were joking about it in in the group chat earlier but all these uh spring reports are very uh i don't know how to describe it there's not a whole lot of meat to them they kind of just say things that that you know are pretty clear um for example one of them is there's a note here that says don't sleep on terrence brooks tavandre sweat or byron murphy the second um honestly yeah no duh two of those are starters (laughs) returning and the other one's a top player four star who played a lot at the end of the year pretty well um you know there's just not a whole lot of meat to these reports I get people have to report them because, uh, you know, you're at the spring practice, you feel obligated to tweet something, but man, I, there's, it's just a lot of hollow talk. I feel like during spring practices, you can't really gather a whole lot. Um, personally, in my opinion. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of Kool-Aid here over these next few months because Mm -hmm. the media gets 20 minutes, 20 minutes of practice, uh, that they, that they can view. Um, and the other bits of practice they have to get from their sources. Most of the time during the spring, their sources are only going to let out the good news. They're not trying to worry people heading to the, the spring game. Um, right. So you're really not going to get any negative notes uh, unless mm-hmm. an injury pops up or something like that. But right. yeah, the, this this is a lot of drinking the Kool-Aid saying, you know, this team looks really good. This team might be special. Uh, we kind of hear it every year. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we're kind of used to it, but um, I, I'm excited about this team. I'm ready to see what they can do in the spring game. And that'll kind of be, 
um, where we can judge them for ourselves. We can, we can actually right. watch them play on the field and can do. Um, again, it's more of a practice style game. It's not an actual game. That, that's how Sark kind of sets his up. But um, mm-hmm. you at least get to see live action and get to see guys tackling live and, and uh, see what Quinn Ewers and maybe even Arch Manning can do with the football in their hand. Yeah, exactly. You said it well, too. It's, it's I think, mostly about the injuries, who's participating and who isn't, and less about how these guys look, quote-unquote, because, I like you said, I don't think that they'll really say anything bad um, unless maybe some of these reporters see it for themselves in that really, really short amount of time that they have. But overall, yeah, I just – I would caution just – you know, throwing these these types of tweets, retweets, because at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. they kind of mean nothing. I mean, another one here is John Tay Cook is a guy who will be hard to keep off the field. Absolute beast. Again, he's a five star. Um, that's that's pretty <laughs> self explanatory. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's probably going to see the field in 2023, or at least push for it. But, anyways, all right, enough uh, ragging on Texas media. Because we are also Texas media. Um, <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about what Sark said in his presser after the first practice. Two big notes here. Uh, I'll let you kind of start wherever you want. But Xavier Worthy, broken hand, is confirmed. I know there's like kind of reports on it about how he was dealing with an injury. and But, you know, they kind of kept it under wraps for the most part of the season. Um, and then the other kind of note here is Sark said that it is a quarterback competition between Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. So wherever you want to go with either of those two first. Um, I'll start in the same order. So Xavier Worthy, um, mm-hmm. we kind of knew at the end of the season, not during the season, but at the end of the season after the bowl game, that he may have been dealing with some uh, right. broken hand or something like that. Um, and if that's the case, you know, the drops don't look as bad. Um, but then you kind of, kind of throw it back on the coaching staff of, if you know, this guy is hurt, you know, he, his hands are unreliable, especially with a broken hand. Um, maybe sit him a game, maybe let him rest. I mean, the bowl game didn't really mean much other than getting extra reps. And, you know, I I don't feel like Xavier Worthy needs extra reps. He's played well while he's been at Texas. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I, I just feel like if you know he's struggling with that, just go ahead and keep him off the field, let him rest, let him recover, um, and kind of speed up the offseason process for him where maybe he can hit the ground running a little bit earlier. Uh, again, we don't we don't really know if he's still dealing with that, if it's still nagging him, or if he's completely healed. Um, but, you know, that that's one where if they knew, and if they saw it in practice, you know, that that's one where, you kind of got to pull him back and say, look, th- this game really doesn't mean much. Let's not re-aggravate it or make it worse. Um, and, and let's move on to next season. But that, that's just kind of my thoughts with that. Yeah. And I'll kind of piggyback off that. You're, I think you're completely right about the bowl game and how, you know, it kind of didn't really make sense to start Xavier worthy because at the end of the day, the bowl game really doesn't matter that much. Um, it wasn't a New Year's Six Bowl. Like, it's not a must-win game. Obviously, it's a big game against Washington, another really good uh, opponent. But I think the bigger issue is how much Sark force-fed Xavier Worthy. Yeah. He had 113 targets this year, and there wasn't really a drop-off when he reportedly had the injury. I, I wish that we would have seen a much bigger target share of Tavion Sanders, Jordan Whittington, even Bijan. And, um, you know, Bijan's a really good uh, receiver as well, and he only had 29 targets on the year. I wish we saw those three kind of eat up some of those Xavier-worthy targets. You could still keep Worthy on the field as a threat. Um, I understand why Sark didn't want to sit him out any games, um, just to kind of keep the opponent um, honest. And, and, you know, you have to account for a guy like Xavier-worthy when you're a defensive coordinator, but man, I, I really wish that Sark would have kind of helped out Xavier worthy and maybe even this entire Texas offense by um, distributing targets a little bit uh, more evenly. Yeah. And I get that as well. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was kind of Quinn yours was missing the deep ball to Xavier. He wasn't putting it where it was supposed to be. 
And then in the bowl game, it was the complete opposite. I mean, Quinn was dropping dimes on deep balls, and they Xavier just couldn't catch the ball. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if it was the hand injury, we have that to look forward to. If Quinn was kind of knocking the rust off and getting where he was uh, coming out of high school, um, and, and we should be able to see that going into the 2023 season where he's hitting those deep balls and being super accurate down the field. Um, and Xavier's hand injury will, will heal itself by the time we get to the, the season. I mean, we have, what, six months from now before before the season kind of kicks off here. So, um, like you said, though, it, it would have been nice to kind of see those uh, uh, targets spread out between different guys, especially if they knew that he was dealing with that. Um, but you kind of also got to throw that back on Quinn as well, where uh, if Xavier is your first read, you know, maybe it's a 50, 50 ball that you usually trust him with, but you know, he's dealing with something. Maybe you look back down to a Jordan Whittington or JT or, or Bijan out of the backfield. Um, so it's kind of a mix of both, but yeah, I, I completely agree. If, if they knew he was dealing with something um, that was hindering him and he wasn't a hundred percent with his hands, which is very important for, for a wide receiver. Um you know, maybe take him back or scale him back a little bit and make him the second or third read in the play. So Quinn's not just uh, tunnel vision on him the entire play. Um, and and maybe the offense would have been a little bit better, but the offense wasn't that bad. It just kind of stuttered at times. Um, and, and maybe that was because Quinn was focused on Xavier so much that he didn't hit his checkdowns. But uh, I hope we see a little more Quinn going through his progressions, uh, especially in the spring game. And then moving forward into the 2023 season. But, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I hope Xavier can get healthy uh, before the spring game so we can see that uh, connection again. And, and maybe even him and Arch as well. Uh, that, that'd be a fun connection to see. Yeah, that's a perfect uh, segue to the next topic. And that's <laughs> open quarterback competition here between Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. I think that this is not very surprising. I think it's more national media giving this buzz than it is. Texas media because Steve Sarkeesian does this every year. He did it with Casey Thompson and Hudson card, which I think was uh, a little bit more of a fair one because truly I don't think anybody knew what was going to happen there. Even last year, Quinn Ewers and um, Hudson card again, were in a quarterback competition. That one, I think most people um, assumed that it was going to be Quinn Ewers. And then, you know, Hudson card, only had a leg up because he was in the offense for a year while Ewers was uh, kind of a new arrival there in the transfer portal. So Sark's going to have an open quarterback competition every single year. I can almost guarantee it. Um, You kind of have to, especially when you have a guy like Arch Manning coming in, you can't just throw him on the bench and just say uh, Quinn Ewers is, is the starting quarterback. It's not like Quinn is coming off some Heisman season. You mentioned it. Um, when talking about Xavier Worthy, but Quinn had his struggles as well and made his mistakes as well. So when you got a quarterback like that, who obviously is super talented, but is making mistakes and could get better, you you need to have an open competition, especially when it's with um, one of the best uh, recruiting or uh, what's the word? I'm losing it here. And, and we're pretty early <laughs> in the podcast, but uh, one of the best recruits to come to Texas um, in a while at the quarterback position. So you kind of need them to push each other and make each other better. Um, I think the biggest loser in this is Malik Murphy, who's dealing with an injury. He's not even uh, playing right now. So, um, you know, he needs to get back on the field. Obviously it's not his fault. He's injured, but man, I'd hate to see him get jumped up without even really a chance to uh, win that quarterback one, but more importantly, the quarterback two spot. Um, you know, this spring. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, it, it sucks for Malik Murphy right now, still dealing with that injury that ha- he suffered in high school. You know, it's gone mm-hmm. over a year now since he's been on campus. Um, but getting back to our Arch and uh, Quinn, um, Steve Sarkeesian says, he said it last year, he said it the year before, but every position is open. Uh, he, he says that after every mm-hmm. year, every position's open. We kind of expected that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's some guys that we put down in pin, um, like a Kelvin yeah. Banks, uh, yes. <laughs> like a Jalen Ford, um, mm-hmm. guy, guys like that, where we know they're going to start, but Sark has to kind of give that, um, illusion that, well, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody beats him out, he's going to play and, and, and maybe yeah. that would be the case. But, 
I, I, I think both of us agree that nobody's going to beat out Kevin Banks on this team. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the same way with the quarterback position. He has to throw it out there that it's an open competition. Uh, whoever yeah. wins the job is going to earn it. Um, I, I think Quinn's 100% going to win the job. Um, yeah. Not because he's better than Arch, but just because he's had a year in the system. He looked good, very, very good in the bowl game. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of how he looked at the beginning of the season, especially against Alabama. Um, so if he can get back into that form where he's playing at a high level um, and and can hit those deep balls that, that we saw against Alabama and against Washington, then uh, it's it's basically his job. Um, I, I completely expect Arch to get redshirted. Um, but that kind of depends on, you know, if Malik is healthy or not, if Malik is still, uh, if that injury is still lingering with him, you know, we may see Arch be that QB two and hopefully not, but he may have to burn his red shirt, um, in his freshman yeah. year or not, not use his red shirt in his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Malik, that, that's just a really, really tough situation where, um, he's got all the talent in the world. You know, he, he's got an arm that can throw it all over the field. Uh, he's built. He, he reminds me a lot, stature-wise, of Cam Newton. He's just a ginormous human being, and he plays quarterback yeah. very well. Um, I, I was kind of hoping to see him compete with Arch, and they maybe even win the spring, but um, he just cannot seem to get healthy, and and that's been the case for for a while now. So, hopefully, he can get healthy here over the spring and, and compete in the summer for that QB two spot. I yeah, exactly, and. Um... I was trying. I sorry. I just googled um, who he reminds me of. I uh, couldn't think of the name. The quarterback from Georgia and Washington, but Jacob Eason. I think he reminds me of a lot. Just a huge human being with an electric arm. I think that's exactly um, what my mind goes to with Malik Murphy there. Um, as for Arch in his red shirt, does it really matter if he burns his red shirt or not? Because in my opinion, if Arch is going to be really good. He doesn't need four years on campus. He probably only needs three, even if two of them are him starting. Yeah, I, I kind of get that as well. Um, but there, there's a lot that plays into that. Um, mm-hmm. Say Quinn comes back for his his senior year. Uh, he doesn't enter the draft after this year. Um, that's probably going to be his job to lose um, because, you know, a, th- a third-year starter coming back, it, it's hard to take that job from him. Um, so yeah. that would give – arch another year as well where he could play two or three years after quinn left um yeah injuries there's always injury red shirts that that you can throw on that that yeah. don't matter how many games you played mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think unless they change those rules but um you know it doesn't really matter um but you know it, it wouldn't hurt for him to be red shirted right um, especially if, if if malik um uh, does get healthy and and can play um this summer and even into the season a little bit yeah, absolutely. I, I totally get that. But um yeah, like if we see if we see Sark just playing Arch at the end of blowout games against non conference like say Rice or uh, I don't have their schedule pulled up right now. Oh yes I do. Like Rice or Wyoming, um, even if they're blowing out somebody in the Big Twelve and we see Arch and Sark's kind of just burning up that red shirt, I don't think it's a huge deal. And I think it might actually be good for Arch to get some uh, reps, even if it's just in, in garbage time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I'm out there a couple times this year and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I could see it happening where he's at that three game point and uh, say right. we're blowing out Texas Tech at the end of the year. Say we're blowing mm-hmm. out Texas Tech. Maybe and, you missed that one. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, uh, yeah. do we save it? It's just one game, and, and I can yeah. see it there where, where they just sit him and say, Let, let's go ahead and use this red shirt and be smart with it. Um, but right. who knows? Plan, maybe he wants to put him in the game and get him some live action um, mm-hmm. just to get him ready for the 2024 season. Right. Um, but yeah, back to the main point, I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's a, qu- a quarterback competition at all. Right, uh, Sark just has to Agreed. say that, uh, and – um, you know, if Arch for some reason does win the job, something mm-hmm. horribly, horribly wrong went wrong with Quinn Ewers and his development. Right. Um, and, and if Arch does win the job and Quinn still looks good in the spring game, maybe mm-hmm. Arch is just that good. <laughs> and, and we've got a right. really, really good quarterback there as well. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I fully expect Quinn to win that uh, QB1 job. Yeah, it, it, 
if you hear in the background, my two dogs are in the room with me and they're both fighting right now. So <laughs> I apologize to the audience if you hear that. But um, but yeah, if I, I just feel like if, if Quinn Ewers loses this job to Arch, unless Arch is a Heisman uh, contender as a freshman, it's kind of a black mark on, on Sark's resume as a quarterback developer, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I think in a perfect world for Sark, Quinn Ewers has a great year, and then he goes on to the NFL draft, um, is a first-round pick, and then Arch kind of steps in, or maybe Malik Murphy, whoever wins that job. But um, if you're Sark, you're kind of hoping it's one of those two. Um, and then they go on to have a successful year as well, because at the end of the day, and um, you know, just as a program, you want to consistently be churning out quarterbacks, because obviously it's the most important position in football, in sports, um, and our best quarterback recruiter is our head coach. So yeah, yeah, it all kind of ties together, and it's kind of a perfect storm um, for Texas, for Steve Sarkeesian. So you kind of just have your fingers crossed that it all kind of works out that way, but obviously um, it usually never does. So we got to just kind of see how it plays out <laughs> here. Well, I mean, you look at it this way as well that's what Oklahoma did for years. I mean, Kyler Murphy, uh, Kyler right. Murphy, Baker Mayfield, uh, Sam Darnold, not Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. Sam Brad. Nope. Sam. What's his name? Uh, uh, Jalen played Hurts. in like Jalen hurts, uh, played in the early 2010s. Uh, Oh, Sam Bradford. Yeah. Sam, uh, Sam Bradford. I, I said that yeah. and it sounded wrong to me, but yeah. Oh, Sam, okay, Sam Bradford. Okay. Yeah. That's why I was confused. <laughs> I was like, man, you had it. <laughs> uh, but they were churning out quarterbacks like that, and what ended up happening is they kept bringing in quarterbacks as well. Right. Um, Caleb and, Williams, like Caleb yeah. Williams came in um, and then followed his head coach um, to USC. Yeah, Ma- Malachi but, Nelson was committed there, who is a top, yeah. uh, top recruit in this class. So. And, and now over to USC as well for him. Exactly, so. yeah. That that's kind of what we want to replicate. The thing that Oklahoma mm-hmm. couldn't do for some reason was figure out the defensive side of the ball. Um, Alex Grinch's speed D was terrible. Uh, they're they're terrible at USC is, too. Is yes, <laughs> yeah, they, they still are terrible. Yes, but but we feel like we've got the defensive side of the ball kind of figured out. It's not perfect, obviously, mm-hmm. but PK has done a really good job in this past year. The defense played lights out. Um, right. So if if we can just get the offensive side of the ball ball rolling, where these quarterbacks develop and they get drafted and drafted really high, um, mm-hmm. that position is going to recruit itself pretty easily. Um, yes. And like we've said multiple times, PK is the type of guy who we don't see him wanting to be a head coach. We we see him being yes. content as a defensive coordinator. Exactly. And and if we can keep him around and have him just dominate that side of the ball, I mean, yeah. Texas could be a juggernaut like mm-hmm. like an Alabama or a Georgia. But all things kind of right. have to hit. Uh, right now, the defensive side of the ball is working. Now we got to get to the offensive side of the ball and see if we get the quarterback position figured out. But if we do, man. It, it could be a really, really fun ride. Yeah, and I think we we talk about this every pod, but if Pete Kwiatkowski wanted to be a head coach, he would have been one already at some yes, point. Those yeah. Washington defenses were so good. Even this last year, this Texas defense was so good. If he wanted to be a head coach, he could make some calls and become one. A power five level, maybe group of five level, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's kind of telling that he's going to kind of stay there. And then on the flip side – Kyle Flood being the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, basically the only step up he can have is becoming a head coach again somewhere else. Um, just we got to keep our fingers crossed that he's kind of <laughs> yeah, in his yeah. position as well because um, he kind of had the taste of a head coach. So at least there's not kind of that mysterious allure that he'll have. He knows what it's like. Um, yeah, it, he's the only one that really knows if he's wants to go back into that or not. But um, but yeah, I, I, I just feel like, um, I feel like Texas is in a really good position. If Sark can kind of prove this year that he can be a bona fide winner, um, I think Texas is in a really good spot to compete with Georgia's and Alabama's, you know, for years to come, which is kind of weird because the way Georgia and Alabama are set up is defensive minded head coaches where they constantly rotate offensive coordinators so yeah, yeah. it's to skip that spot or uh, you know kind of skip that um and he just has to kind of rotate 
um, position coaches at, at this point um, and hopefully for the foreseeable future. So we'll kind of see how that all plays out. Um, but is there anything else you kind of have on this before we get into SEC scheduling? No, no. Let, let's go ahead and jump into it. Okay. Um, okay. So in my head, there's kind of just two, two kind of ways to split up SEC scheduling in the future. And it's either a nine game SEC schedule um, where Texas has three uh, yearly opponents and then they rotate the other um, whatever, the other four through nine um, every other year. So Alabama would come to Texas every four years. Florida would come to Texas every four years, so on and so forth. And the other side would be an eight-game SEC schedule, which is what the SEC has now. And then they would only have one yearly opponent, and Texas's would obviously be Oklahoma because it would have to be. Um, and then they would rotate the other seven games. Um, so Texas A&M would come to Texas every four years, so forth and so on. Where do you want to start on that? Do you agree with that? One, <laughs> do you have any other any other kind of ways to do it? Those are the most too popular, but maybe I'm not thinking of something here. Yeah, the the only other one I could see is just kind of them sticking with what they've got, having two conferences, East and West, and mm-hmm. like Texas plays everybody in their conference um, yearly, and then they kind of pick one from the other conference and, and go that way. That doesn't seem very likely <laughs> with what's being talked about, but that's the only mm-hmm. other way I could think about, honestly. Right, right. Okay. Um, so where do you want to start with that? Well, let's just let's just curb that one that you just said then, because mm-hmm. I think that would be pretty um, you know, pretty easy to decipher the east and the west. Texas would join one of them with Oklahoma, and then the SEC would have to move somebody from the east to the west side. I, I, who knows what that would be, but let's stick with those two then, the nine-game SEC and the eight-game SEC with the three okay. yearly opponents and the one. Um, which one do you want to start with, and which one do you feel more passionately about? I guess start with that one. I, I think it's going to be the nine-game. I, I just think that's what it's going to end up being. Um, yeah, me And, too. you know, it works out the best um, mm-hmm. because – if you look at the SEC now, uh, it's it's terrible. The the scheduling model they have is god awful. Yeah, right. um, I don't I don't think Georgia's played at A and M the whole time they've been yeah, in the conference. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I was going to bring <laughs> I, that up. I mean, and it's been what? 12 I think twenty twenty messed now? that up. Yeah, I think twenty twenty. But still, the fact that it's been so yeah. long and it has like yeah, that's great. I think it's, they played. It's I think ridiculous. They haven't played in Georgia. I don't think they played in Athens. Oh, okay. Like but either way, that's still a very <laughs> long time to not play at your home field against somebody. So, yeah, and you know the the three team like you have three certain opponents each year that you play, and then you play the other yeah. six um, mm-hmm. that, uh, every other year. That that just seems to work so perfectly. It seems to fit. Um, you know, it's they've been called bubbles, divisions. You know, what whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, um, pods, but. You know, it, it'd be pretty easy to, to pick Texas's three. Um, obviously, Oklahoma, yes. A&M, and Arkansas. Um, mm-hmm. Arkansas is one that I could see maybe moving, but I, I just don't know who they would move it with. Um, yeah. And, and I have they a are... rebuttal to that, if you want to. Uh, My rebuttal would be, I think Arkansas's, <laughs> I think Arkansas's biggest rival is Texas in the SEC once they come in here. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think Arkansas, if, if they were, you know, picking – kickball teams i think arkansas picks texas number one so i think that's why it's so easy as well um and then oklahoma texas a&m are kind of no-brainers whether texas a&m likes or not espn <laughs> and the sec are not going to let those views uh go to yeah there so yeah i completely agree it, it just makes too much sense um and we can we can kind of go through the the rest of it at a later time, but I, I feel like we're yeah. mainly going to talk about Texas and Oklahoma right now. Um, mm-hmm. It it just makes so much sense to go that way, um, and Oklahoma would basically have the the same opponents. Um, I, I think they're mm-hmm. going to pull A and M, Arkansas, and then maybe Missouri. Uh, or, I think or sorry, Missouri Texas. would make sense. 
Texas A&M and Arkansas would probably be their three as well. Um, but mm-hmm. you could switch out Missouri for Arkansas or, or something like that. Uh, yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what they pull. Uh, but it, it's it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm really excited for it. And if we can play A&M every year. Um, Arkansas, I understand the previous rivalry. If I could switch mm-hmm. them out with somebody, I would probably pick um, Tennessee, LSU, or Florida. One of those three. I, I think Tennessee that would be a fun be game. Fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would that, be amazing. Yeah. Um, but it, it's looking like if – this is the route the SEC does go. It's probably going to be Oklahoma A&M and um, Arkansas and Texas will play yearly. Yeah. Um, and then to kind of uh, bounce off that a little bit more here, um, the other six games then, how how would we kind of split those up? I have my idea here. I don't know if you do. If you, if you don't, then maybe I'll just pitch you mine real quick. Yeah, yeah, you can go ahead. Um, okay, so – I kind of you kind of have to have it where they're traditional powerhouses, so not just like the past ten years, but the past twenty years, um, because you can never like Alabama's really good right now, but they haven't always been really good. So, and same with Georgia, same with Tennessee, LSU, Florida, and Auburn. I think those six are kind of in their own little tier there of where any given year they could be national title contenders. Um, yeah. They've all won the national title in the past 20 years. Um, maybe Tennessee is getting getting close to not, not being true. But either way, really good football team um, on average. So what I kind of did was I paired up Alabama and Auburn because you wouldn't want to go to Alabama twice in one year. Um, you know, and this is for a lot of States too. If you can avoid it, you probably like same with Ole Miss and Mississippi state, you probably just want to group them together and then alternate those two teams. So how I have it is Alabama and Auburn are alternated, alternating year after year. And then, so they would play at Texas, um, every four years, if, if that's the case, same with LSU and Tennessee are grouped together. And then Florida and Georgia are grouped together. And that also has to do with, uh, you know, geographically, Florida and Georgia are the furthest. Um, LSU and Tennessee are kind of in the middle um, near each other. And then Alabama and Auburn are obviously both located in Alabama. Um, Ole Miss and Mississippi State I grouped together. South Carolina and Kentucky and Missouri and Vanderbilt. Those ones I, I think are kind of, you know, just the, the last four in the SEC, in my opinion. Yeah. So I just kind of grouped them together, South Carolina and Kentucky, and then Missouri and Vanderbilt, I kind of grouped at the end there together. But in my head, um, it's not just about grouping Alabama and Georgia together because they're both really good now. I think it has a lot to do with geographically grouping these teams together, but also, um, you know, traditional powerhouses as well. Um but you probably want to try to not have to play Alabama and Georgia in the same year, but I think it's inevitable on it, honestly. Yeah, it's that's one that's for someone, because, maybe not for Texas, yeah, but for someone it, it has to happen, I think. And, and you could look at it this way as well. You know, if you play Alabama and Georgia in the same year, I mean, the next year you don't have to play either of them. Um, right. So you, so you kind of have a really easy schedule that following year, mm-hmm. but. Every other year, it's going to be really tough. Um, yeah. If if a school for some reason pulls Alabama, Georgia, and LSU all in the same year, that that's really really tough as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. so it's kind of it's it's kind of tough to play play with it that way. Um, mm-hmm. For Texas, I, I would want Alabama and Georgia in opposite years. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would probably want um, Florida and LSU on opposite years as well, um, and then. Just geographically, I, w- I would put Tennessee and Kentucky together, um, Mississippi mm-hmm. State, Ole Miss together, South Carolina, Vanderbilt together, um, and then you know Auburn and Missouri. I, I mean, you could throw them together. They're they're not close geographically, but they're kind of the last two mm-hmm. sitting there. Um, yeah. But it's it's going to be interesting to see you know what the SEC does. They they got to figure something out pretty quickly here um, because. I I I don't think they're going to wait until after the 2023 season before they start releasing schedules and and releasing how they're going to um, do the scheduling and 
how they're going to split teams up. I, I feel right. like we're going to know something probably this summer or um, during the season sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you get into the off season, that, that, that's cutting it really, really close. And, and that's kind of when schedules release anyways. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to have an official schedule before the season or during the season, but we're going to have a general idea a layout. Of, yeah. Yeah. Of, of how, how this is going to work. Um, and then you also throw in the, the annual non-conference opponent opponent, um, Texas tech is kind of there. I, I don't really like it's kind of a mm-hmm. annoying little brother <laughs> opponent, but yes. but um, I, I don't hate it as well. I mean, they got to pay right. money in somehow, and they're they're really pissed that Texas is leaving the Big Twelve. So uh, if if they want to get revenue every other year for us going there to play them, that, that's fine, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see when when this uh, when they release the layout <clears throat> and, and what the layout is. But but I'm excited to see what it, what it's going to be. Yeah, and I agree. I think it's, I think it's, I, maybe we won't even talk about the eight game SEC schedule because it's basically going to be a similar layout. The only difference would be maybe the two yearly opponents that you would have had in Texas's case, that's AM and Arkansas. You would just alternate those two, and that would be, um, that would be eight games because you wouldn't obviously yep. play them both. So I think that would be the only two the only real difference between eight and nine game schedules. So we probably won't even get into that. Um, But yeah, going back into the non-con, like you're saying, um, if Texas does, and I think they should, I think they should have one team that they kind of play non-con every single year. Um, Oklahoma is going to have that with Oklahoma state. I'm pretty sure they haven't really announced that. I don't think. But um, I'd be shocked if they didn't. And kind of kind of sad, too, obviously. Bedlam is, is <laughs> yeah. iconic and really fun. But for Texas, Texas Tech is probably one of their oldest rivals outside of Texas A&M and, and, um, and Oklahoma, honestly. And longest standing as well, because Texas Tech was in that Southwest Conference. Um, and being a history nerd, you know, I love the Southwest Conference. I think it was obviously I didn't get to live it, but I just think reading about it and learning more about it, um, it was just an insane conference with you yeah. know Texas obviously being the powerhouse, but Texas A&M <laughs> also being pretty good. Arkansas um, being a powerhouse in the 60s and 70s. Um, SMU, obviously, with the Eric Dickerson and in their <laughs> 80s. Um, that Southwest conference was so, so iconic, obviously with Arkansas leaving it kind of uh, made it an all Texas school. And then they ended up becoming the big 12, but I would like to see Texas kind of continue that rivalry. Um, It also helps, I think um, having to play a school uh, yearly in the state of Texas, it's not a far drive for Texas. Um, I just, I, I'm very conscientious of miles traveled. Um, I think it matters. I think it, you know, less fatigue for your football team. Um, and then recruiting wise, it's another game in Texas that you can sell recruits that you're going to every single year. Obviously they'll have all their home games. Um, and then they'll have the Oklahoma game every year. Um, but then you can add just one more with the Texas tech game as well. Um, but you know, any of, uh, like, See, this is where the problem comes, and I'll let you talk in a minute. Sorry, I'm rambling here, but no, you're fine. Like TCU, Baylor, those are a lot better programs, um, you know, just throughout history than Texas Tech is in football, and they're a little bit tougher opponents than Texas Tech on average. So it would be nice to choose Texas Tech out of those those three if you're going to want to stay in the Big Twelve, but you also want a power five opponent and you don't want to just group a five um, or FCS level, the UTSA, Rice, UTEP, North Texas, um, SMU. So I think Texas Tech is kind of the worst Texas school in the power five, maybe Houston. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I was going to say is Houston recruiting wise, that that would be, a huge That's uh, a great point. game to play. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And they're they're new to the Big Twelve, so we're only going to play them once before we leave. Um, mm-hmm. But but I would love to kind of start that as a rivalry. Um, yes, and, and they were in the Southwest where that Conference goes. as well. And, and you know Texas Tech, you know it was fun. You know it helps recruit West Texas a little bit. But mm-hmm. man, Houston is such a hotbed for talent. You know, guaranteeing guaranteeing Texas going to play in Houston every other year. I mean, I mean that mm-hmm. would be huge for recruiting in that area. Um, and you know, A and M's around the Houston area as well. So I mean, if, if right. you stagger those home and homes, you know, Texas could be in that area every single year. Um, yes, w- which would be huge for recruiting. So um, yeah. I, I would like to see Houston. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not big on Texas Tech, and I I kind of want to just get rid of them and get them out of my mind honestly yeah um, yeah, yeah but you know if it is texas tech like you said that, that's big for recruiting another game in the state you know kids mm-hmm. from west texas you know that 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 could be a selling point where my parents are going to be able to have a short drive to come watch me play every other year you know that that right. could be a selling point for them as well so um it'll be interesting to see how it plays out but but if, if i was to trade texas tech with somebody it would probably be houston yeah, and, you know, that's a great point with staggering Texas A&M and Houston kind of staying in that area every single year, guaranteeing that. That's actually what uh, Notre Dame does and why they play Stanford every year is because USC is obviously their biggest rival. But since they rotate, um, Notre Dame wanted to stay in the state of California so they can recruit it. Um, so they ended up adding Stanford to their schedule um, and you know, kind of flip-flopping. So they stay in California every single year and they can kind of, you know, tell those kids that, hey, we're going to be in your home state every single year so your parents can watch you play. That's to your point about adding Houston. So that's a great point. Um, And like you said, they are a step below Texas Tech right now. But man, do you think they will be now that they're in a Power 5 conference? Um do you think maybe they'll recruit a little bit better than Texas Tech now? Obviously, they're in a hotbed for recruits and talent um, more so than than Texas Tech is. But how do you think that'll play out? Do you see them kind of becoming an upper upper Big Twelve team ever? Do you ever see them passing Texas Tech skill wise? Uh, yeah, I, I I could see them passing Texas Tech pretty quickly. I, I think mm-hmm. depending on coaching wise, you know, if they have their guy, I, I don't know if Dana, Dana sure. Holgerson is still there. Um, but yes. if they find their guy and he's a really good coach, um, you know, I, I could see them kind of taking over the big 12 um, competing with Oklahoma state uh, competing mm-hmm. with Texas tech Baylor, um, you know, and, and try kind of running that conference. Um, yeah. uh, like you said, Houston, <laughs> that's a hotbed for talent. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's two of the biggest hotbeds uh, in the state with Dallas being the other one. Um, so if you can control that and run that, you know, it, it may be Houston and TCU that kind of run the Big 12 for the next uh, decade here. I, I don't think they're going to have that talent right away, obviously, but if they, if they show they can compete and that they can play at a very high level in the Big 12 early on, uh, you know, over these next two, three years, you know, Houston could be the team to beat in the Big 12. And now um, this is something I just thought about, but um, who knows if Texas really wants to go there every single year, but what about Rice? That's a team that's definitely not as good as Texas. They are, I think they're a group of five. I'm I'm not sure actually if they're FCS or not, Um, but anyways, they're in the Houston area as well. They're right in Houston. So if you do choose Rice, you can kind of do the same thing as Houston but it's a lot, lot easier game. And then you can still schedule a power five opponent um, like Michigan, Ohio state. We see coming in the next coming years. We, you could still, if your taxes be aggressive and kind of play one of those upper power five programs every year. Um, I'd love to see them get Florida state Clemson um, Notre Dame, back on their schedule um obviously with a nine game sec schedule that's a really really tough ass Um, (laughs) yeah but i did a little bit of research on this um before before i get into that research though um what are your thoughts on rice would you rather just kind of keep houston there and leave those 
at least one of those other two non-conference games for like a Rice level or maybe a North Texas or what Texas has been doing is scheduling a Louisiana school, actually, a group of five or FCS Louisiana school and um, playing them to kind of get in that state of Louisiana more often, which would help with their LSU um, game as well. Yeah, um, you know, I, I would rather stick with Houston and Texas Tech, honestly. Uh, you mm-hmm. get that kind of power five level opponent, um, yeah. and then you could you can schedule a couple cupcakes that kind of – game uh play texas tech houston and have another tune-up before you hit conference play um because you know with the playoff going to 12 teams the sec schedule is going to be a gauntlet every year it's not going to be a lot of fun it's going to be a lot of um high blood pressure games you know so um i i don't mind scheduling cupcakes and and even if we do rice if if we switch texas tech out for rice um you know I, i would still want more cupcakes as well. I, I just don't okay. feel like we need to add um, – we don't need those quality wins like you used to have uh, for the 14 right. playoff, especially when yeah. you're playing A&M every year, Oklahoma every year, Arkansas every year, Alabama and Georgia potentially every other year. Uh, you know, you're going to have teams that you can compete against and, and show, hey, we, we belong in this top 12. You know, we, we belong yeah. in the playoff here. Um, so if we have three cupcake games or maybe two cupcake games and and a mid-level power five team, you know, I, Mm. I'd be completely happy with that schedule. Yeah, that's a great point too. I would just, um, love to see Texas kind of expand out and get those other big programs, but maybe we can worry about those in the college football playoff in in a 12 team playoff. We'll see them. So that's a great point and kind of my thinking as well, but, I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, all right, so you mentioned the 12-team playoff. This is what my research was on. Um, how many three-loss teams have made it into the top 12, into the final top 12 um, in the college football playoff rankings? In 2022, two teams did, and it was Utah and Kansas State. Both were conference champions. So those were the only three-loss teams inside the top 12. Um, both winning their conference. Um, 2021, it was only one, and it was the conference champion, Utah, again. Um, Every other team in those two years had either two losses, one loss, or zero losses. In 2020, obviously a little bit of a wacky year with COVID, two three-loss teams made it inside that top 12, and it was Florida who lost in the SEC championship game to Alabama, and then um, it was conference champion, Iowa State. Uh, 2019, two three-loss teams again, Wisconsin, who lost in the Big Ten Championship to Ohio State, and then Auburn, who lost to three top 10-ranked SEC teams. Uh, And they also beat Alabama, but they didn't make the SEC Championship game. So Auburn seems like a pretty good example of they lost to three really good SEC teams, and then they beat a really good SEC team in Alabama, and they kind of got the benefit of the doubt, and they snuck into that top 12. Now, 2018, this is as far as I went, uh, but (laughs) it was a very, very crazy year, so I apologize for my rants, but four three-loss teams made it inside the top 12 here in 2018. Washington, who won the Pac-12, so kind of a no-brainer there. Florida, who lost three SEC, uh, who lost to three SEC teams, Only Georgia was ranked. The other two SEC teams were Kentucky and Missouri. Um, They also beat number five LSU and number 23 Mississippi State. So they had some quality wins, but they had two kind of nothing burger uh, losses, but they were in SEC play, so they got the benefit of the doubt. LSU was one of those teams as well who lost to three SEC teams, but they were all ranked. Florida, Alabama, Texas A&M. And then they also beat Georgia, Auburn, um, and Miami, So, uh, who were all ranked as well. So LSU kind of balanced out their three losses with three quality wins and three quote-unquote quality losses. Um, rant almost over. Penn State <laughs> <laughs> is the fourth team, and they lost to Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan. Ohio State and Michigan were both ranked in the top five. Michigan State was unranked. Um, 
And then their only really quality win uh, in quotations was number 18, Iowa. So Penn State's another one who had two quality quote unquote losses um, and then another kind of nothing burger loss, but they also made it inside that top 12. So who knows how the college football committee will act now that they know that 12 teams are making it to the college football playoffs. Maybe they didn't put a whole lot of thought into it after maybe like the top six or so. Um, But this kind of tells me that if Texas kind of takes care of business and shows that they're a national championship contender and they beat a couple of highly ranked teams, they can afford to lose to a um, Ole Miss on any given year or a Kentucky, um, as long as they beat one of those Alabamas, Tennessees, LSUs, or Georgias, along with uh, Oklahoma and Texas A&M, they can afford to lose an Arkansas game and still make it into that top 12. And that's all that really, really matters. Um, Which is why, again, I'm not totally afraid to schedule a Texas Tech or even go as far as to say a TCU or a Baylor but I think tech kind of makes the most sense like we just talked about as well. Yeah. And I'll go back to these past two years. Um, uh, it was Kansas state and Utah mm-hmm. who were in the top 12 with three losses. Um, mm-hmm. So they would have automatically qualified for the playoff. So that, that's kind of the thing where that's true too. And I did <clears throat> about that. Yes. And you can also look at it this way. If say Kansas state was sitting at 13 instead of inside the top 12, they would have automatically qualified and that kicks one of the top 12 teams out. Exactly. So, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how these automatic qualifiers for these conference championship teams goes. Yeah. Um, because if you, if you have a year where the PAC 12, you know, ha- has an unranked team for some reason, win the conference, the big 12, same thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's going to make the playoff really, really interesting where there's two teams in there that, probably aren't in the top 12 teams in the country, but they made it because they're the conference champion. Um, So, you know, if that happens, that unfortunately kicks two really, really good teams out. Um, But you're the conference champion. You you kind of deserve that. You've earned that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we'll see how it plays out. But again, back to your point. Well, can I I interrupt you for one second? Because you brought up a great point. Also, the group of five gets one automatic uh, qualifier as well which I did not yeah. think about when doing this research. So their top, the group of five's top ranked um, school gets into the uh, 12 team playoff as well. They don't get a buy, but they automatically get in. So if their best group of five team is ranked number, maybe 20, they will jump somebody else um, that's ranked in the top 12 as well. So great point by you that I didn't really think of until just now, but yeah, you kind of got to be – you kind of got to show that you are definitely a top 10 team because there's so many qualified uh, automatic qualifiers that it'll kind of push you down even if you are ranked at number 12. So sorry, but go on. No, no, it, it's, it's completely fine. Uh, th- that's the thing where, you know, even if you have a really good year and say Texas is sitting there with two losses or three losses at that number 12 spot, you mm-hmm. know, it's going to be a really nervous conference championship weekend where – you know, any anything could happen. Uh, yeah. Like I, I just pulled this up, but um, this past year, um, the top four seeds, if we were in the twelve team playoff format, the top four seeds would have been Georgia at number one, Michigan at number two, mm-hmm. Clemson at number three, and then Utah at the number four seed um, mm-hmm. with Tulane in there at number twelve because they they won the conference championship in the group of five, or they were the highest rated group of five team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it. It, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I think it's a good – excited for the 12-team playoff. Um, mm-hmm. More high-level college football is always a good thing. But, right. but it's going to mix th- some things up, and it's going to piss some people off probably who are sitting on mm-hmm. that edge and they get kicked out. But, um, yeah. yeah, back to your point, though, um, that that's kind of where I'm sitting there looking at it as, you know, why – risk it with a team like Texas Tech where Texas has struggled at times against Texas Texas Tech um mm-hmm. so why why even risk it where we could have three cupcakes freeze yeah. for those get ready for conference play where we'll have plenty of quality wins i mean even if we lose to <clears throat> an Alabama or an Oklahoma 
you know, that means we're still going to beat uh, uh, A&M and LSU, uh, uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. You know, we're going to have plenty of quality wins to get us up to that top 12 spot. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if it could be where we're sitting at three wins, three losses there, and, and uh, because we did play a, a Texas Tech or a Houston or somebody who's kind of that middle-tier power five that they bump us up to 12 instead of 13. Um, right. So I, I understand the point as well. But but mm-hmm. I, I just feel like there's no reason to risk it when we're going to be playing so many quality opponents during the during the um, conference play that that it shouldn't really matter as long as we play up to the level that 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 we can. Yeah, and that's a great point too because at the end of the day, if Texas is a true national championship contender, they're probably walking out of the regular season with one to two losses, anyways. Honestly, <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, they if if they want to win the national championship, they're going to have to beat teams like Alabama and Georgia, at least show that they can. If they're yes, consistently yeah. losing to those two, um, it doesn't really matter if they win out because, well, I shouldn't say that, but if they <laughs> consistently lose to those two um, <clears throat> and then they, you know, pick up a random loss to Texas Tech or even if it's a, a higher-ranked team like LSU or Tennessee, you know, were they really – uh, national championship contenders, do they really deserve to be in the college football playoff? Probably not. Obviously, you still want to see them there because you're a Texas fan, and you know that's a that is an accomplishment. But at the end of the day, um, I think if you're a true national championship contender, you're going to walk into that top eight mark no matter what, um, including yep, yep. automatic qualifiers and so forth and so on. So um yeah I'm, I'm just not too worried about it and that's also why i think yearly opponent non-con needs to be in the state of texas because i brought it up again but um you know shorten your travel time a little bit uh shorter travel time better rest um into your point is the difference between playing texas tech and uh tcu or a baylor really that much of a difference in college football playoff committee's eyes maybe but most likely it's probably not worth the risk and reward because Texas still is going to play plenty of top competition and plenty of ranked teams um, throughout their SEC schedule. And and to your point as well, you know, if we are really competing for a national championship or a college football playoff, um, Texas tech doesn't worry me. If, if our quarterbacks work out, if Arch Manning turns out to be the five star that he is, if Quinn Ewers plays to the level he can play this year, uh, mm-hmm. We should be blowing out teams like Texas Tech or, or teams right. like Vanderbilt or Kentucky or, or Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that shouldn't worry us at all, you know. And, right. and we've seen Alabama struggle with teams before as well, but mm-hmm. they they kind of have that second gear that they get to in the second half where they just will their yes. way to a win. And it may be an Georgia against yeah. Missouri this year, right? Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> where it, it's not a pretty win, but it's a win. You know, it, all all that yeah. matters is there's a tick on the left side of your of uh, uh, your record you know right so 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 if texas gets to that point uh i i don't think it really matters who the annual non-conference opponent is or even or if we even have one uh maybe Mm -hmm. we just kick texas tech to the curb and we just go with three um, teams that we choose each year but um like i said it's gonna be fun to see how this plays out it's gonna be fun to see uh who all we do schedule you know who our annual non-conference opponent's gonna be but the 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 thing that excites the most is the level of competition is going to go up so much that I feel like it's just going to make Texas better. Um, and recruiting wise, you know, the SEC is a huge, huge seller for a lot of these kids in Texas and Florida and, yes. and in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. I want to play in the SEC. SEC gets me to the NFL. That, that's just what's Absolutely. in their mind. Yep. Um, so as soon as we move to the SEC, I expect a big bump in recruiting. And it's, it's, it's kind of silly to say that because we've had uh, what back to back top three classes uh, right. So you can't really see a big bump, but you know, th- there's yeah. a big difference between the way we're recruiting and the way Alabama and Georgia are recruiting uh, two mm-hmm. spots ahead of us. You know, there, there's a pretty decent gap there. So, so if we can close that gap a little bit and maybe even overtake one of them, I, I mean, we're going to be bringing in serious talent to Austin, Texas, and, it, and it's going to be a really fun time under, under Sark. Yeah. And um, you know, to your point about recruiting, I think actually, you know, 
announcing that we're going to the SEC has a lot to do with these top five classes the past two years as well. Even though we didn't actually go there yet, I think just the allure of going there. And at the, at the time, two years ago, nobody really knew when Texas was making the jump. Um, yeah, everybody yeah. knew it would probably be sooner rather than um, all the way until 2025, but nobody really knew. So, you know, the Texas uh, staff could use that to their advantage and say, hey, it's going to be sooner than 2025. How soon? I don't know, but you want to get on the train now. Um, yep, yep. I, I did an article. Uh, this was actually last year, but as soon as Texas, um, and or maybe even a year and a half, whatever, as soon as Texas announced that they're going to the SEC, I kind of charted out them and Texas A&M and kind of how recruiting um, differed for both programs and Texas A&M had an incredible jump from 2012 onwards. They started absolutely killing it in recruiting and actually averaged um, similar to Texas in the past, uh, uh, in the past, I'm sorry, 10 years. So that didn't take into account these, this past recruiting class, obviously where Texas probably now is in the lead, but it, significantly changed the way Texas A&M recruits. Um, and I just imagine it's going to do the same with Texas, even though we just talked about it probably already has. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think Sark kind of knew um, when we were going to the SEC, especially um, John T. Cook, Anthony Hill, Arch Manning recruitments. He kind of had an idea of, of what CDC was telling them, hey, we're getting close in these negotiations or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of, in my opinion, what sold arch is, Hey, my first year starting could be in the sec, right. uh, Anthony Hill. I, I could be playing in the sec in two years, you know, Absolutely. I to showcase my talents against the top players in the country and top conference in the country. Um, and yeah, if, if we weren't going to the sec, I don't think we get Anthony Hill. Um, I don't know if we get arch Manning. I don't know if we get John T. cook just because mm-hmm. it, it's that allure of the sec of, that's what gets me to the NFL, like like we talked about. But yeah, th- this is a big time move, and I, I I am super excited for it. Obviously, we still have one more year in the Big Twelve, but mm-hmm. um, I, I hope we go out with a bang this year, and uh, we finally get that Big Twelve championship that we haven't been able to get here in the past ten years or so. Absolutely, and to your point, um, you know, I think the SEC for some weird reason, this might just be my vibe and it might be totally off, but I feel like defensive players actually care more. Um, and maybe line of scrimmage players in general, offensive linemen included might care more about being in the SEC because, you know, the big 12 was always known as kind of a air raid, throw it around yeah. in the league. So I feel like yeah. quarterbacks and wide receivers maybe didn't care as much because the SEC was such a, you know, um, what's what's the saying clouded dust um in in, in the line of scrimmage um but anyways i i just feel like um the line of scrimmages and the defensive side of the ball in general is the bigger impact of moving to the sec um than any other position really and this last class kind of um not so not totally solidifies what i just said but it kind of helps because um, last two classes, our offensive line classes have been really good, but our last class, our defensive, uh, side of the ball has just been insane. Like yeah. you said, Anthony Hill, Derek Williams, um, Malik Muhammad as well, as well as, uh, Terrence Brooks and Jalen, uh, Gilbo last year. So I don't know, maybe that's just, that's just kind of me, um, reaching on a take there, but, um, it's just something that kind of popped in my head. No, I completely agree. I could completely see that because, uh, like you said, the SECs, especially over the past decade or so, they've been known as more of a defensive conference, you know, win with defense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now now the offense is starting to come around. It's changing more. for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's it's still a heavy defense conference where mm-hmm. the best defense is CC. Um, right. The Big Ten can kind of compete with that a little bit. Correct. They, they, they have some really good defenses up there, but – Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, D- defensive players want to be in the SEC and they want to showcase their talents. And, and what better way to do that with a ginormous ESPN contract and, and playing on TV every single week? Yeah, the Big Ten is about a decade behind 
where the SEC <laughs> was because they still don't really play offense unless you're Purdue. So <laughs> unless you're Purdue, you really don't want to throw the ball around for – and uh, Ohio State, I should mention as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michigan's getting there. Um, they got five-star quarterback J.J. McCarthy. Um, so maybe maybe they'll get there. But, yeah, overall, just not uh, – they're not there yet with the with the SEC changing of times. Um, do you have anything else on the SEC schedule? Anything Texas related at all before we get out of here? Did I miss anything? I don't. News I don't wise? think so. No. Um. All right. Well, I guess that will do it for this week's episode. If you enjoy the podcast, learn something, or just want to support us at Texas Talk, please rate five stars wherever you're listening. But more importantly. Tell your friends and family about us. Um, yeah, like I said, our podcast schedule is usually dropping on Wednesdays, but in the off season, we're kind of a little bit more loose with it, but we'll definitely get a podcast out um, once a week. So uh, thank you all. And sorry if you were looking for us on Wednesday, but uh, happy Friday because <laughs> uh, you'll be listening to this on Friday. So um, all right. Thank you all for listening. And as always, hook them. Hook em. <laughs>